0: Step into the hidden corridors of the past with Hometown History, where every episode uncovers the untold stories and secrets nestled in the streets and alleys of our own backyards. We bring history to life, revealing the extraordinary and the ordinary from local legends to forgotten tales that shape the communities we know today. Tune into Hometown History and embark on a journey through time, right from where you are.
1: Soundsington, mm. Media. Soundsington. Soundsington
2: Media! Words are pale shadows of forgotten names. As names have power, words have power. Words can light fires in the minds of men. Words can wring tears from the hardest of hearts. This quote comes from The Name of the Wind, the first book in author Patrick Rothfuss's epic fantasy series. The King Killer Chronicle. At Unspookable, we know all too well just how powerful words can be. They're how we communicate, how we relate to the world and connect with the people around us. But that's not all. They go even further than that, too. Words inspire us, they encourage us to take action, they ignite our imaginations. More than ever, Especially as we come out of a year of lockdowns and one of the world's largest pandemics, there are two words that seem to be on everybody's mind. Can you guess what they are? Here's a hint. It was one of the top ways we passed our time while we were shut into our homes for months on end. Video games, playing video games to be exact. Those two little words, video and game, are powerful enough to fire up our imaginations on their own. But when we put them together… Whoa. What comes to your mind when you think about video games? Maybe you think about a character like Princess Peach from the Super Mario series, or Link from The Legend of Zelda. Or maybe you think about where the game takes place, and the entire worlds you can create, like in Minecraft or Animal Crossing. Maybe it's the love of a challenge, the rush that comes from a game that tests your brain, that keeps you on your toes as you solve puzzles and unlock clues, each getting harder and harder as you get one step closer to the end. Maybe you have a favorite game you go back to over and over again. I know I do. I wonder, how much time have you spent playing video games this past year? An hour? A day? A week? An entire month? How far are you willing to go to reach that final level? Did you stay up way past your bedtime? Play during all of your meals? Ignore your remote learning and homework to put your screen first? If you did, did you face any big consequences? And was it worth it? Sometimes gaming isn't so simple. What if there's more to the video games that we all know and love today? What if I told you there was supposedly a video game that took on a life of its own, that it went way beyond a simple escape and a way to pass time into something more sinister, deadly even, a video game that defied all we know about games today? A game that, instead of you, the player, having control of the game, had all of the power and was the one that had complete and total control. A game that was playing you. A game known only as Polybius. I'm Elise Parisian, and today we're going back in time. Forty years into the past, to be exact, to 1981. When a strange black boxed video game began appearing in arcades on the outskirts of Portland, Oregon. What sort of terrible power did Polybius have over the kids who played it? Was it part of a secret government mind control experiment? And does this phantom game still continue to haunt the Pacific Northwest? All this and more on today's episode of Unspookable. It was the autumn of 1981, when the video game Polybius first started to appear in arcades around Portland, Oregon. A puzzle game featuring bold, ahead-of-its-time graphics, Polybius was unlike any other video game at the time. But before we dive in, we need to take a step back for a minute and look at what video games were like back then. While today we can play video games on just about any of our screens, anywhere we'd like, In the car, at the grocery store, in the park, or in our bedrooms. It wasn't always so easy to fire up your favorite games. There were no cell phones, laptops, or tablets in 1981. No handheld gaming consoles or massive networks of online players or entire gaming communities at your fingertips. The video games that your parents and even grandparents played weren't so easy to get to. Even though the first in-home video game consoles, the Magnavox Odyssey and the Atari, came out in the 1970s, they were expensive. They cost way more than even an entire year of saving up allowance or lunch money. And it wasn't just the cost of these in-home consoles that turned players off, either. The quality of their games was just, well, less than impressive by today's standards. I don't know that many of us would find playing a black and white game with two squares hitting a white dot back and forth fun. Or thrilling. That black and white game is called Pong, by the way. And yes, it did exist. In 1981, if anyone wanted to game, they had to go far beyond their living room couch. The best places to find actual video games are the ones worth playing anyways. We're in arcades. Maybe this word is familiar to you. Have you heard the word arcade? Sometimes called game rooms, some modern arcades appear in hotels or shopping malls. And shows set in the 1980s, like Stranger Things on Netflix, also give us a glimpse into what arcade culture was like. So what was it like? The short answer is unlike anything we have today. Also known as amusement arcades, these were huge buildings crammed full of massive video game cabinets. A wall-to-wall explosion of sounds, lights, and colors, with dozens upon dozens of games just waiting to be played. For gamers in the 1980s, arcades were the place to be. They were loud and exciting, and even a little bit dangerous. Kids and teens roamed these dark rooms full of the bright glow of video games, without any parents or grown-ups around for hours on end. Going to arcades was an experience. It was marveling at the colorful graphics, getting lost in the detailed pixels and jamming out to the sound effects and music that put those boring black-and-white shapes of the in-home console video games to shame. It was in these dark dens of digital escape, where the legend of Polybius and the horrors of its violent hold on players, and its mind control, begins. More on that after the break.
0: I've been to a lot of arcades, and the best way to describe it is a bunch of flashing lights and uh, a lot of arcade games. And a lot of people being upset because they're losing. I've been to arcades like Chuck E. Cheese and Dave & Buster's. One
1: way I would describe it is lots of lights and noise happening. And
0: a lot of other games too. And people winning prizes. I've heard a lot about Polyvius. Because a couple of months ago, I was trying to find something that I wanted to research about. And that's what I chose. The thing that I know most about it is that there were weird occurrences while playing the game? I don't
1: really know much about the game. I only really know it from the one episode of The Simpsons, which I really wasn't paying attention to, to be honest. I've actually literally never heard it. This is the first time I've heard its name.
2: According to the website coinop.org, a series of arcades around Portland, Oregon, were where Polybius first found its home and where the trouble all started. Described only as a large, unmarked black box, Polybius' game cabinet was installed by tall, serious-faced men wearing black suits and ties. The men didn't speak a word and seemed to disappear as quickly as they arrived. Other than the neon green lettering that read Polybius, the only other word that appeared on the game's starting screen was sinislauson the name of the mysterious company who created the game. It wasn't long before arcade-goers lined up to play the new game, or felt its frightening side effects. A puzzle game known only for its bright colors and mesmerizing shapes, Polybius soon captured the attention of players. Gamers would find their eyes glued to the screen, their fingers moving as though being manipulated by phantom hands and unable to think about anything but just beating the game. They couldn't stop. They wouldn't stop. They were compelled to play the game and keep playing at all costs. It wasn't just an escape, it was an addiction. Eager to lose themselves into the hypnotic patterns of Polybius's puzzles, fights would break out between players. Waiting in lines that never seemed to end, players would become angry, even aggressive. They'd grab, punch, kick, and attack each other. Because arcades were so huge, noisy, and crowded, nobody seemed to care how much they hurt each other or just how bad the fighting got. It was after playing Polybius that many players began to feel the effects, excruciating headaches, hallucinating things that weren't there suddenly passing out, and even collapsing into seizures. Countless players were plagued by unnerving nightmares, caught up in terrible visions of unimaginable terror. These nightmares were enough to make some players quit playing video games altogether. Physical illnesses weren't the only side effects, either. Numerous players found that they were missing large chunks of time, Hours that they couldn't account for. They forgot their names and where they lived. Where were they? Where had they gone? And, more importantly, why? Some players lost themselves entirely. At least two players were rumored to have disappeared without a trace after playing Polybius. Some claim to have witnessed the men in black suits swooping in to drag them away under the cover of darkness in the arcade. Others argued that one day they were there, and the next, well, it was as if they'd never existed. What had Polybius seen in them? Had it summoned the men in black? Where could they have taken those kids, and Why? How did these mysterious men in black suits fit into it all? What did they want? In the months Polybius was installed among popular arcade games of the time, like Ms. Pac-Man, Frogger, and Astro Blaster, those silent, black-suited men returned. Every time, typing in what seemed to be a secret password and walking away with sheets of papers, with mysterious strings of numbers and letters, with a look of grim satisfaction on their faces. What could the men want with these ordinary kids and teens? Their time? Their money? Their minds? Rumors quickly swirled across arcade floors, whispered from player to player, each growing more spectacular and outrageous than the next. The Men in Black were from a secret branch of the military, unleashing a twisted new technology. No, they were from the CIA and watching, monitoring everyone for hours, days, and weeks on end. No, they were government agents, experimenting with brain control hidden in Polybius' code, tricking players into being their test subjects, even if it killed them. After all, it was proven that between 1950 and 1960, the United States government was indeed experimenting with mind-control techniques with the program MKUltra, which we may recognize as being the primary influence for the Netflix show Stranger Things. Who was to say that Polybius wasn't an extension of MKUltra? But then, just as quickly, Polybius vanished entirely. All of the gaming cabinets were suddenly gone. Not long after, all the conversations and conspiracies about the game faded into nothingness. Soon, Polybius wouldn't even be a passing thought. And it wouldn't be until 15 years later, in 2006, when Polybius suddenly returned. This time, not in physical form, but online. And with it, panic and mayhem and a fight to uncover the truth at all costs.
1: I think the video game I've played the um like the longest of would probably be Plants vs Zombies. I have basically beat the f- first like the well, two bosses in
0: it, so I've played it for a very long time. My favorite games that are like mobile or on my Nintendo Switch are like Animal Crossing, or Subway Surfers, and in arcades, my favorite game is probably Deal or No Deal. My
1: favorite game that's mobile is probably Roblox, because you can play with other people, and my favorite arcade game is probably, like, Ski ball My favorite video game overall would probably uh, be Mario 3D Land. I... have played that a lot. It, that would probably be up there. Like, I basically beat it, too. So that would be, like, up there. With Planter Zombies, one of my favorites. Because I don't have a favorite video game, I have favorites.
2: When a page about Polybius appeared on coinop.org in 2006, it took the internet by storm. Its short entry, telling of amnesia, weird military tech, and the company known only as Cineslautian stirred up a frenzy of remarks and opinions. Users claiming to have played Polybius shared first-hand accounts of the devastating effects that the game had on their bodies and minds. Memory loss, seizures, terrifying hallucinations, nightmares that still plagued them. Even over a decade later, Some users became obsessed with proving the game's existence. They left comments about their investigations into Polybius and begged users to come forward and email them with every detail that they could remember. Then other, more sinister figures began to emerge from the anonymous, faceless void of the internet, threatening that unless users abandoned their search, their lives and the lives of their loved ones would be in danger. This phantom arcade game was back with a vengeance, summoning victims, thrill-seekers, and maybe even some of those notorious men in black. But where did fiction end and fact begin? And how did the internet play into these claims? Here's a hint, it all comes back to words. Sinislauschen is a German phrase that combines the word senses with deleting, while Polybius was the name of a historian in ancient Greece. He believed it was his duty to always tell the truth, to share real facts. He put reason, common sense, and accuracy above everything. Polybius the human knew how important words were and warned about the power and danger of exaggerating or twisting the truth, or in other words, lying to make up more exciting stories. Yep, the mind-controlling Polybius is nothing but a very creatively and very creepily imagined urban legend. The eerie arcade game never existed. So how did the story spread as far as it did? How did it tiptoe the line between reality and fantasy and become such a seemingly real part of arcade culture? As Polybius the historian would say, it all comes down to the facts. So let's step back for a second and break down what we know about the game. 1. Polybius was set up by a secret branch of the U.S. government that was trying to spy on us and monitor everything we did. In 1981, technology was still in its early stages. It was so new and mysterious that for some people, it was really scary. Instead of being excited about all the new possibilities, some people jumped into being afraid of it and mistrustful. They were quick to imagine the worst-case scenario, that the government had bad intentions and secretly wanted to use that new tool to collect data and information about them. In the case of the Polybius legend, the government was spying on their kids and trying to figure out ways to manipulate them, to make them do things that they didn't want to do. 2. Polybius is a deadly game that caused its players to lose their memories, experience horrible nightmares, and have violent seizures. These are all side effects of its mind-controlling code. Okay, So, with the exception of the fears of mind control, this one also has a kernel of truth. Around the same time the Polybius legend took off, there were some kids and teens who were experiencing some serious health issues after playing video games in arcades. On Saturday, April 3rd, 1982, in Illinois, an 18-year-old named Peter Bukowski went to his favorite arcade, Friar Tuck's Game Room. A huge fan of Berserk, a fast-paced game that combined the excitement of shooting targets with the challenge of racing through mazes, Peter played game after game, racking up one high score after another, until after his final victory, he took four steps away from the game cabinet and suddenly collapsed onto the floor. He had a heart attack and sadly died. He'd been playing Berserk for just 15 minutes. At first, Peter's sudden death stirred up panic among adults, who already mistrusted arcades and video games. Was it the excitement of the game that caused Peter's heart to beat so hard and so fast that it led to his heart attack? If it did, then who was to say their own video game-playing kids wouldn't be the next victim? Those rumors were quickly put to rest. When doctors took a closer look at Peter, they found out that he was actually sick all along. He had a heart condition that he and his parents never knew about, also known as arrhythmogenic right ventricular dysplasia. Peter's heart was surrounded by inflamed, scarred tissue. It wasn't the arcade game that led to Peter's death, but a health problem he'd never known that he had. The other illnesses that supposedly struck players of Polybius, like seizures, also have a medical explanation based in facts. Some people who have epilepsy are prone to having seizures when certain conditions come up, like flashing light sequences made up of bright colors. This is known as photosensitive epilepsy. Sound familiar? Yeah, many video games are full of graphics that are just that bright and flashy. According to the Epilepsy Foundation, 3% of all people with epilepsy have seizures from these bright lights, and most of them are kids and teens. So is it any wonder that myths spread that video games were hurting kids? But the reality is, while video games could be a catalyst that could lead to a seizure, they're not the cause. For one, Video games aren't the only form of entertainment that uses bright, flashing lights. Movies, TV shows, YouTube videos, and even theme park rides can also come with warnings about the risks of seizures. Usually, they're phrased as something like, Warning, if you have epilepsy or have had seizures or other unusual reactions to flashing lights or patterns, consult a doctor before playing, watching, or riding." None of them have the same killer reputation as Polybius. We can also look at it this way. Many toy kits, like Legos, come with a disclaimer that they may pose a choking hazard. Does this mean that all Legos are dangerous or evil? That they're out to get us or hurt us? Or is it simply just an acknowledgement that choking is just one thing that can happen? and that it's maybe not such a great idea to start building that massive, towering Lego castle while your baby sister is crawling around on the floor next to you. 3. Polybius put kids into trances and rotted their brains Like the satanic panic and rock music that we talked about in our Momo episode, when video games first came out, many parents and adults were worried about how they might impact the brains of kids. Adults looked at how absorbed kids were in video games and assumed that because they weren't educational, like reading, or creative, like making music or art, that video games didn't have the same value. They assumed that because they couldn't prove that games were helping their kids' brains, they must be hurting them. In reality, video games, far from destroying our brains, have been found to help them grow and become stronger and more flexible. Playing video games can actually improve our abilities to focus. They can help us learn problem-solving skills, keep our memories sharp, build self-confidence, and develop better hand-eye coordination. Video games also improve our social skills and can help us make more friendships and feel like we belong. That doesn't sound like rotting brains to me.
0: Um, Some of the dangers that at least I've heard of or that have been on the news are um, people get pretty bad side effects um, from looking at screens for too long and some games ask for your location and like apps like TikTok, if you've ever seen a video on your For You page saying something about your state, then it's definitely tracking where you are.
1: With your personal information on there, they like the... People, hackers could probably get that and use that to like hack into your accounts and stuff like that. Your Twitter accounts, like your email, your Facebook, all the apps which have your personal information. I feel a big danger when it comes to apps is, again, apps asking for your location and people generally just finding your information from you playing the game.
2: Fears that are not rooted in facts are all it takes to strike the match of a conspiracy and ignite a fire that takes on a life of its own as a blazing, red-hot urban legend. When you bring the internet into the picture, and the billions of users who latch on to stories and build up onto them with their own stories, these legends become impossible to ignore and something that we start to accept as fact. Back in our episodes on Momo and Slenderman, we looked at what it means for something to be true, as well as how urban legends spread through the internet. Polybius became part of our horror pop culture only when it debuted as a real entry on coinop.org. But that's not all. Get ready for me to blow your mind. Some of the most horrifying things about the Polybius myth are actually happening every minute of every hour of every day. And we don't even give it a second thought. Every website we go on, every app that we pull up on our screen, and every game we play that uses internet connection is collecting information about us. Programmers, tech companies, And in some rare cases, government agencies can track our location, see our photos, look at the contacts on our phones, and more. They can access our search history and use it to predict what we'll do and when. Websites and apps like YouTube, Instagram, and TikTok follow us with every click we make. After all, how do you think they send us all of those recommended videos and posts? They're watching us and via targeted advertising, can even lead us to places we probably wouldn't have gone to on our own. And here's the thing, we're not afraid of it. Most of us aren't spiraling into panic over being watched and followed. Actually, if you take a minute to think back to the last time you were sent something by one of these apps or websites to check out, you might agree that a lot of us actually like it. So, why has Polybius stuck around? What keeps the urban legend going? Could it be the power of the internet? Or the way Polybius' facts marries its fiction? Maybe it's simply that we just love video games. Or maybe the answer is in our own coding, our own secret programming, that it's our human nature that leads us to seek out thrills And to try to take a stab at untangling the mysteries around us, especially if they're peculiar phantom pixels. Thanks for listening to Unspookable. I'm your host, Elise Parisian. This episode was written by Victoria Thomas. Research done by Michael Grathwall. Produced and edited by Nate Dufort. Our theme song and additional music composed by Jesse Case. Our logo was created by Natalie Kewen. Special thanks this week to our guests Blythe, Bella, and Al. If you enjoy the show, make sure to tell your friends. You can leave us a rating and review in your podcast player of choice, or share an episode on social media. Speaking of social media, you can find Unspookable on Twitter and Instagram. Follow us for a peek behind the scenes and for updates on the show. Unspookable is a production of Soundsington Media, committed to making quality programming for young audiences and the young at heart. For more information on our shows and the people behind them, go to www.soundsingtonmedia.com.